You're listening to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today we return to the monthly series, City Farming, in which we address new ways to think about food in urban settings. This show will discuss permaculture, a sustainable method of food production. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Ron Barazan, founder of The Urban Farmer. Welcome, Ron. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Really happy to have you here. Ron, can you tell us a little bit about The Urban Farmer, what it is and what you do? Gladly, yeah. So I've been um, self-employed in this business for the last uh, 15 or 16 years. And the, the whole focus has been on helping people grow food, primarily in urban areas and grow food for themselves, their families, their communities. And I, you know, I do a range of services. I, I teach, I design, I do consulting work. And these days I farm also. I'm uh, managing an urban farm in my home community of Powell River in Tlaaman territory on the West Coast. So yeah, it's a little bit of a lot of things, but it's all about fostering food security, particularly in urban areas. Wow. So a little bit of everything, you know, consulting, farming, sort of the, um, the run of all trades, um, mm-hmm. as they say. And the Urban Farmer website has some really interesting information. I encourage listeners to go visit it and um, find out more. But there's some statistics showing an uptrend in urban agriculture. And what do you think is behind this increased interest in producing food in cities? That's a very good question. And yeah, I have definitely witnessed this directly over the last 15 years or so. And it's, you know, interestingly, I think we're just catching up with many other parts of the world. And we're reclaiming uh, a history that was even in our country, where people thought nothing of growing a lot of their own diet right where they lived, including in urban areas. But here we are, you know, in this decade now, Uh, facing all kinds of significant crises like climate change and, well, currently a pandemic, all kinds of things that have encouraged us to question how dependent we are on our food arriving from somewhere else, you know, and we've seen the fragilities in that. And, you know, and and it's only going to intensify as the impacts of climate change continue. And, you know, in Canada, we get so much of our produce from California, from Mexico, to areas that are facing significant water issues. So I think there's a growing awareness of this. People are more tuned into the fact that, you know, food doesn't just show up in our grocery store miraculously. It comes from somewhere. Someone grows it, taking from a particular place and needs water and and soil and all these things to combine. So there's a, yeah, definite environmental side to it and and the health side too. You know, I think people are really uh, waking up to the fact that local food, food you grow yourself, that you have a relationship with is the best food to nourish you. That's great. And you had that last little bit is, is so important. There's lots behind the trend, but it's not just biologically nourishing, but it does sort of metaphorically nourish the soul, you know, being out in the garden and watching a seed go to a plant to something that you can harvest and eat. And there's so many benefits to it, not just uh, that you grew it and you appreciate it, therefore you won't waste it, but everything else that comes with it. It's, it's, it's a great way of life and something to do if you can add it in and fit it into any space that you have. And there's many types of urban agriculture, Ron, and can you describe just a few of them for us? Yeah, definitely. And there's some of it's sort of different scales. Some of it is different approaches. So, I mean, it's, it's as, as varied as backyard gardens that folks have uh, or balcony gardens, perhaps, you know, small scale home gardens for self-provisioning. That's, we wouldn't want to underestimate the importance of that. And it is all about the things that you just said too, that direct connection for people and for children in particular, I would add to, to, you know, to see that food growing. And so that's, that's terrific. But in many cases, 
that's not representing a huge volume of food production. So there are bigger scales of urban food production, and those are things like, well, community gardens uh, fill a little bit of that role, and there are many, many of them in every city in Canada now. And there are now community orchards and community food forests and those kinds of situations too. But what I get particularly excited about today are small commercial farms, often organic, uh, often very biologically diverse, either right within cities or on the edges of cities. And this is a, a newer phenomenon for us um, in, in this generation anyways. And a lot of it is driven by younger people who have a desire to farm, don't wanna live a rural lifestyle perhaps, are rooted in cities and are finding land that's uh, otherwise um, not utilized and uh, starting up small commercial ventures, making a living from growing food um, in and around the city. And that is a really, really interesting development. Sometimes people are doing that in a dispersed way by renting space or trading space of a lot of people's backyards in what's known as a spin farming approach or they are getting bigger tracts of land. Um, so that's a, that's a really interesting development and one that I think scales up a lot of, of what has been happening un until this time. Isn't that interesting? Because often we can think, well, urban farming is, you know, backyard farming, and certainly that is part of it, but you're saying that the demand and the capacity is shifting to, actually, you had mentioned a commercial setting where people are actually being able to make money, whether they're um, sharing land or finding land. So I guess that's probably one of the first things in getting started is finding the land. And if you don't actually have it yourself, you live in a high rise or you're um, just don't have a lot of space enough to grow maybe a little bit, but not to sell, that it's finding the land. And that helps um, use some of that green space in, in cities so we don't have to go farther out. And um, we on another show, we'll be talking about preserving agricultural land because as we all know, um, we talk a lot about endangered areas and endangered disappearing habitats. And here in Canada, we have the grasslands and we don't really necessarily always think of that when we talk about biodiversity and habitats at risk, and yet it's happening here in our own nation. So we need to think about it all strategically and what we can each do to move the dial. We've talked generally about urban farming and some broad trends, but on an individual level, why do individuals decide to participate in urban farming? You know, in my case, for example, both sets of my grandparents, uh, I grew up in Edmonton, and uh, one of them had a, a farm that was on just on the outskirts of the city, eventually annexed by the city of Edmonton, and they ran a small mixed farm, sold vegetables in town. I had a taste of that as a kid, you know, um, and then on the other side, they were more in the urban area and had a double lot, and every inch of that lot was growing food, and they raised chickens, and they had goats. So, I mean, I think, you know, agriculture is is not that far away for many of us. It's in our um, family tree. I mean, I think that there are a lot of people today who are longing for that connection. And there's nothing so elemental and so grounding as working with soil, working with plants, starting seeds, nurturing those seeds, creating a harvest, processing that food, consuming that food. It creates so many connections. And I think there are a lot of people for, for whom that is the underlying drive. It's a, it's a real wish. There's a, there's a sense that it's, you know, the way that the food system globally has evolved is not quite right. And, and, and people are hungering for something different. So in many cases, I think that's what it is. And so, I mean, the, the fastest growing demographic of new farmers in Canada is young urban people, not the children of farmers on big tracks out in rural areas, young urban people, who just really catch fire with this, 
want to do it because they, yeah, they want that experience. They want that lifestyle. Um, and land access becomes the challenge, especially in cities where land is costly. So people have to be very creative about how they do that. Well, lots of great reasons for individuals to get started. And, and you're right, there are a lot of young people becoming interested in, as you had said, just reconnecting. That this disconnect, whether it's just the fast pace of technology or the complexity of our food systems, that there is something not just poetic, but uh, primal about working the land and also predictable that no, everything doesn't just grow. But if you follow the right steps and you learn from people about what grows where and what grows together and, you know, care for it and fertilize it and that kind of thing, you're going to get something at the end. And it's nice to know that there is that level of prediction in a world today, as you had mentioned earlier in the show, a number of things that were sort of very broad scale and out of our control, that there's something comforting and healthy and, and that brings happiness about working with the land. That's really well uh, well said and inspiring, Ron. Thank you. You know what? I think, Peggy, that I, I would say even it's in our DNA. It's in our DNA to pick berries, to, uh, yeah, to work with plants, to work with animals. This is who we are as a species. You know, this is how we became um, the species that we are today. And I think when people sort of feel that deep connection, some would call it a spiritual thing, it's um, it's just resonating deeply with who we are and, and what has been the history of our species. And we're only a few generations who've been quite uh, removed from that. So, yeah. Yeah, that fundamental alignment to um, not just nature, but our nature. Yes. And, and you're right. I, I remember working my grandmother's garden and uh, sure, it was hard work. <laughs> there's something about it that you know when you get the first carrot of the season or the first radish or the cucumbers are ready not just for salad but for pickling it there's just something there's joy throughout the entire process or at the end of harvest knowing you're, you're getting the land ready for the next season here we get snow there's just something delightful about it so i i absolutely agree with you after the break, we'll hear more from Ron Berzin, founder of The Urban Farmer. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. Speaking with Ron Berzan, founder of The Urban Farmer, about growing food in the city. Our focus is a special method of food production called permaculture. Ron, you're a specialist in permaculture, and can you tell us what this is? Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. So um, just to break it down a little bit, the word itself is a contraction of, the, of, of two other words, the word permanent and the word agriculture. So we might say sustainable agriculture, or uh, in this case, permanent agriculture. And it is it's definitely about growing food uh, and doing that in a way that patterns ecological uh, principles. But it's also a little bit broader in an application than that. It's really about creating human settlement and, and meeting human needs in ways that are sustainable and, and based on natural principles. So an approach that people can take and um, there's all kinds of workshops and courses that, that, that people can enter into this with. It's, it's all about empowering individuals to be able to, wherever they are, be it a city, be it an urban area uh, or a, a rural area in Canada or somewhere in Central or South America or who knows where, but to uh, carefully observe and understand the ecology around them and work with that to provide for their needs and their families' needs. That's very interesting. As you were speaking, I was just thinking about it's an orientation 
you know, we get reoriented, not just to our physical surroundings, but the needs and the uh, nuances of not just growing things, but doing it in harmony, as you had said. So there's a lot of uh, systems and holistic factors embedded in permaculture. And can you tell us a little bit more about how that works? Yeah, so it, we talk about the creation of a permaculture system, and, and really it's just recognizing the fact that in nature everything is connected. So, you know, if you look at a forest, the, the, a tree, the soil, the animals, the birds, the uh, microorganisms, all of that life is intimately connected. In so many of our human landscapes, we sort of severed a lot of those primary connections, and we end up doing a heck of a lot of work to compensate for that. And we um, often damage and, and leave an ecosystem impoverished in the process. So really we're about trying to regenerate the natural forces in the soil through a number of different techniques, adding organic matter to soil, composting, for example, is, is, is one aspect of that. But then making a design, let's just take our yard, a backyard, an urban yard, for example, and you know you, you decide you want to grow some food. Well, one approach would be to plow it all up and have a, a number of straight rows of carrots and vegetables, and there's nothing wrong with that. But a permaculture approach looks for a little bit more diversity in the, in the process, includes the use of both annual species and perennial species. It carefully uh, looks at the water movement on a particular landscape. So in your yard, how can you make the most of every inch of rain that falls, capture it, store it, use it in your landscape? Yeah, and how can you provide the most comprehensive approach to providing food for your family and your neighbors and your neighborhood. So again, that is often by diversifying and doing something we call, you know, stacking. So you have things growing at different heights and you're just making the most of every bit of space that you have, including looking at the microclimates that are there. Where is it shady? Where is it hot? Where is it dry? Where is it wet? And observing carefully, understanding those microclimates, and then choosing plants accordingly. And all the while adding more fertility to the soil and welcoming in the you know, uh, native insects, pollinators, birds. So creating a little bit of an oasis, you know, wherever you are, a little mini Eden, in fact, that uh, you know, is good for us and good for, for the planet too. I'm just thinking it's an entire sort of little ecosystem, one backyard, no, no two alike. And when yeah. we talk about rainfall, that there's going to be slightly different depending on where the trees are and what you can gather and reuse and um, all of that. So there's a lot of elements that go into permaculture. And can you give us some example of, of the elements that are needed to be successful in permaculture? Sure. So, I mean, we can, on, on one level, we can break it down very simply and say that the elements are uh, soil, plants, water, animals, energy, air, of course, uh, and human beings. And so all of those need to be placed in, in careful relationship with each other. So how we design a landscape to uh, allow for the engagement of people. So good pathways, good, uh, good links to, the, to where the food is, but really in inviting the human interaction in that landscape. It's a very symbiotic relationship that symbiotic meaning 
things that go together and, and grow together, including the person that is actually you doing the designing and the and the caring and all of that, that there is this oneness almost, and, and we're getting a little philosophical, maybe even metaphysical, but it is certainly interesting. I was thinking of almost someone doing a portrait or somebody composing some literature, all the pieces that you're putting together in the permaculture setting. It, it is a version of artwork, it seems, just by the way you described it. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's both it's both art and science too. You know, it, it's yeah. a it's a wonderful. It is a very creative process in which we are you know immersed in it. There's a lot of design involved in permaculture, and um, it seems like it's something you could just become so interested in, and certainly more than a hobby. It's a way of life. Yeah. And where could someone start? Get to know where you are. So again, even if it's an urban area and you feel like you're not living in a in an ecology you are living in an ecology and so it's about understanding the movement of the seasons the sun on your property the uh, native species that are there the non-native species that are there what's the soil like all of these things that's where we begin you know and often if i'm supporting someone um, who's just purchased a property i recommend don't do anything dramatic in the first year spend the first year really really ob observing but you don't want to make any huge decisions until you really understand um, your place, you know, and, and you have a good sense of it. So that's that's the first uh, really, really big step. And, and, you know, often that is about connecting with with maybe your neighbors, too. Maybe there's maybe there's an old Italian guy down the road who's been gardening for <laughs> decades and decades and you just observe and what are they doing and what's working well for them? You know, and what are the other species that seem to thrive in your neighborhood? And so there's those kinds of things that um, are, are a really good place to begin. Good. That that would be really great to have a neighbor like that. And and it sounds like there's um, not just a scientific uh, and human philosophy behind permaculture, but also almost a moral philosophy. What are some of the ethical principles that guide permaculture activities? Yes, um, from its beginning, uh, the founders, Bill Mollison and David Holmgren, articulated three ethical principles. And you could think of these as touchstones or really defining criteria for whether something really is permaculture or not. So those are care of the earth, care of people, and the third one, sharing the surplus. So it's pretty obvious, I think, what we mean by care of, care of the earth, regenerating, uh, working towards biodiversity, creating habitat for other species. Care of people, it's sure self-provisioning and for yourself and your family, but also, you know, being being open. And that leads us to the third one, which is sharing the surplus. And any ecosystem is not, um, doesn't have hard boundaries. There's movement in and out of a, a forest and a meadow. They exchange nutrients and species. And, and so our own uh, permaculture system that you've created in your yard or on your acreage, it's about how can I foster some, some abundance here, and then share it with others. We don't achieve, in my opinion, we don't achieve true food security alone. We do that with others. And so that is at the heart of permaculture as well. Wow, great ethical framework. And, and you're right, you're right, care for the planet, care for people, but also sharing the abundance. And I think that's a, a wonderful philosophy to embrace in many, many ways, whether you're going to pursue permaculture or not, it's definitely something to carry forward as a thought to help solve the problems in our community of hunger, but also world hunger. There's a lot needs to be, we need to move the dial on. So uh, I love that ethical framework. And Ron, are there any final messages that you'd like to share with listeners about urban agriculture or permaculture? 
I think sometimes people are, are feel a bit intimidated maybe to start or and just start small, you know, start small, start where you are, learn lessons on a small scale, and then you can apply them to a bigger scale. Volunteer on farms, volunteer in community gardens, get your hands in the soil, just, you know, start doing it, you know, and, and there are plenty of folks who have uh, lots of experience who can be mentors. And so tap into that, you know, be part of that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So thank you very much, Ron, for sharing your expertise today. I, I learned a lot and I'm really excited to know a lot more. So I really appreciate you sharing your passion about permaculture with us today. Well, thanks a lot for, uh, for having me, Peggy. I, I enjoyed the, our chat. Wonderful. It's our sincere pleasure to have you. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Ron Berrison, founder of The Urban Farmer. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about. Could you integrate permaculture into your backyard or community green space? Something to do. Visit www.theurbanfarmer.ca to find out more about permaculture, designing your growing space, and much more. Next week on the show, we return to the series Back to the Future. We'll talk about the preservation of farmland with Crispin Calvin, executive member of the Ontario Federation of Agriculture. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist, and you've been listening to the show Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum level sponsors, Burnbrae Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.